0: I hope that uh, as you look through our liturgy, as we time you get to the sermon, you have some idea of something the text is going to cover. This week you see, hopefully, some idea of persecution. I uh, kind of experienced it this week. I got to go to the Royals game on Wednesday night and showed up in my orange hat and I was trying to get inside the game. There were thousands of people around us and uh, we were trying to find any other person wearing orange so I stood up on this rock to look behind me and there were a thousand people booing me simply because I had an orange hat on. Um, but that's not the kind of persecution that we really see in Scripture, the stuff that, uh, that really matters, that we really experience. Uh, that one was more humorously. I kind of got a kick out of it until we lost. Uh, but it was fun. So grab your Bibles. We're in Acts chapter 4 today. Uh, and just as a review, we try to give these reviews because you're trying to understand where we are in the text and what's happening here uh, in this narrative. Uh, Peter and John have gone to the temple and they've gone there at the ninth hour to pray. Uh, and on their way, they're going through one of the gates that goes into one of the courtyards, and they see this, this lame beggar, lame, not as an insult, but meaning he can't walk. And, and uh, so they heal him. They heal him in the, uh, by the power of Christ, in the name of Christ. And, uh, and so as a result, everyone knows this guy has been paralyzed, and they are like, what has happened? They show up, and they want to listen, and, and they preach the gospel to them. Uh, and John and, and Peter, in particular, they, they give this call to repentance. Uh, and they and they give them these three reasons: repent so that your sins may be forgiven, and repent uh, so that you'll experience these times of refreshing, and repent so that when Christ returns for His people, that He'll come for you. Um, so the apostles they speak up, and today we're going to see what it actually cost them to do so. What's what's the result of speaking up in, a, in an environment where it's not popular to do so? Uh, and so we're going to look at our text. We're going to take uh, two sections. The first section being verses one through twelve. Um, And so we'll read that first and and go through it, and then we'll read the next section. So uh, follow along as I I read that. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in, in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and their elders and their scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, your word gives us hope. It chokes out apathy and humbles us before you. We ask that the text you've given us this morning would fill us with so much confidence in the gospel that we would leave here unafraid and filled with tremendous bravery, great boldness and radiant hope for the redemption of those you would give us opportunity to speak of our Savior to. Lord, may we so believe the truth of the gospel that we can say with the apostles, we cannot but speak of the truth that there is salvation and no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So today, across the globe, Christians are facing persecution, persecution of all sorts. Uh, Those facing the worst of it are facing the threat that their life will actually be killed um, for no other reason than the fact that their faith is in Christ. Uh, See, we tend to look back at the history of of persecution and we think it's all violent, you know. Uh, We think about how some of the apostles were actually crucified upside down, Uh, how narrow has been said to have turn Christians into actual torches to light his garden with, or, or the way that we see on the news constantly of churches and Christians being bombed and attacked even, in, even today in the Middle East and other places. However, that's not how it all began. See, our, our text today marks the very first instance of persecution for the New Testament church. Uh, after speaking up uh, and calling people to faith in Jesus Christ, the apostles get this mix of, of good news and, and bad news in that moment. Um, see the good news is that many believed the gospel, uh, and there are now five thousand Christians in Jerusalem that are spoken of here. It says in verse four, many of those who had heard the word believed amazing fruit from just simple ministry of the Word being proclaimed. Uh, the bad news, however, is that the leaders in the temple are so annoyed by what they are preaching that the, this gospel and this, this message of the resurrection of Christ. Uh, that they arrest them and they take them away. See, the apostles spend a whole night in jail as a result of this. And, uh, and because really, you know, they have this expedient uh, judicial system, mostly corrupt, but it's expedient, uh, they get to face the council the very next morning. Uh, so just so you have an idea of this, this, uh, this high court or this Jewish high court that we're being, uh, being taken to here was made up of 70 elders. Uh, and then the current high priest. So there's 71 people in this council that they have to stand before. Uh, Annas mentioned here, uh, that's the high priestly family. He's kind of a big deal in this, in this regard. Uh, his son-in-law is Caiaphas, and Caiaphas is the current high priest at the moment. Uh, his son John, you see, mentioned in the text as well, not much is said about him here, but after Caiaphas, his son becomes the next high priest. Uh, and so you can see there's some degree of nepotism going on. Um, this is a powerful family. Uh, the council is, is kind of like our Congress. It's made up of a, a mixed group of, of, of different parties, of different groups. And uh, the minority group is represented by the Pharisees. You know about them somewhat. They're obsessed with the law and rules and how far you can walk on the Sabbath and things of that nature. But the majority group is the Sadducees. Uh, the major distinction between those two is that the Sadducees don't believe in any resurrection. No one anywhere, any way can be resurrected. Um, that is a huge thing for them. Uh, The Pharisees believed in the resurrection, not necessarily that Jesus did, but they did believe in it. Uh, And the Sadducees were not fans of Jesus before. Uh, Why? Because he spoke of the resurrection. Uh, And here, now his disciples are teaching the very same thing. This is what annoys them so much. Uh, I do love the way this works out. Remember, they go to the temple, they're going to the time of prayer, they're going to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. Uh, God heals a man, everyone there starts to listen to them, many of them believe. How frustrating then, in that moment, that they get arrested. Things were going so great. Suddenly we're getting arrested. Uh, what a downer. And, and so they find themselves, though, and this is what I love, they find themselves standing before some pretty significant people in the culture. And, and what question does the council ask them? By what power or by what name do you do this? Yeah, I think we can answer that. I mean, we've come to share the gospel, and you ask us that? Yeah. See, remember, though, that that difficulty here is that the majority of the people they are about to speak to, people who decide their fate, what's going to happen to them, don't believe in the resurrection at all. And the apostles are very aware of this. Um, Surely, you you know, you think during the night it must have crossed some of their minds, you know, Peter, now might not be the best time to mention the resurrection. Maybe we just gloss over that, um, you know, for this this time being. Uh, What are they going to say? Jesus actually spoke to moments like this. Uh, You might remember back in Luke 21, 12 through 13, uh, Jesus told them, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. And here's what he says, Jesus continues on. He says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. This is your opportunity. And so this is an opportunity to bear witness about the gospel, about the truth. But what are they going to say in this moment? I mean, do you you know that this is very applicable to us today? Uh, We get asked very similar questions, not with the same antagonistic to it. No one's threatening to kill your life, praise God, at this point anyway. Um, But we get asked questions like this that we can answer where we speak to our Savior or we can find some other way to answer. Uh, It might be as simple as, you know, why are you so happy today? What's going on? Um, Or so many terrible things have happened to you this week. Why aren't you freaking out? You know? Uh, how have you had success in fighting sin? How do you answer that question? I had a, a guy some time ago tell me, uh, with joy, that he had gone a few days without looking at pornography. I said, that's great. How'd you do it? Uh, and I expect to hear some, some list of fences he's put up. You know, I, you know, I tore out the internet. I, I uh, poked my eyes out with sticks, something like that. Uh, but what he told me was that he prayed to God in the name of Christ each day, and, and just asking for that day, and that the Lord answered his prayer yeah, that's a better answer. Um, That's one that really shows me. Really, it's in the power of Christ that he was able to do this. You know, he asked for daily bread, and the Lord gave him daily bread. Anytime we have a chance, anytime you have a chance to give God the glory, take it. Uh, In our text today, their safety, even their lives, is absolutely at stake here. And and, and what's going to give them hope in the face of this fear? What, What strengthens them? It's really what they, what they know to be true, what they have learned from Christ. Back in Luke 12, 11 through 12, Jesus gave them confidence for this moment. It's the kind of thing you and I have to establish if we're ever going to be able to stand in this moment. He's, he says in Luke, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This this is where the truth that they have learned in the past is being put into practice to give them strength for the moment. He's saying, guys, don't be anxious about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will help you. He will provide the words. Look at verse 8 right here. What do we see in our text? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, God provides just like he said he would. Now, we do well here to notice also that Peter here actually responds to them with a great deal of respect. He refers to them by their titles. He says, rulers of the people and the elders. He doesn't go rogue in some disrespectful way. He still understands this. And uh, verse 9 then, Peter points out that, that this crime that they are actually being, you know, standing here to defend is this good deed. Listen, we healed a man. Is that what you want to know about this good deed that we did? Is that what we're being, being trialed for here? A man 40 years who has been paralyzed is suddenly healed? And, and then in verse 10, we, just, we see this boldness. Let it be known. Let it be known to you and to all the people, right? And, and he names Jesus as the source of the healing. He explains Jesus was crucified. Jesus was dead. Jesus was raised from the dead. And again, remember, he's speaking to people that don't believe that, and they're upset at them for saying that. Uh, it's the very thing they know will be upsetting. But he tells the truth, even knowing that this might cost them dearly. And he couldn't be more clear that it is because of Jesus that this man standing here before you is healed. Verse 11, then he says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Peter is quoting Jesus, actually, who made reference to himself as the cornerstone. When he was quoting from Psalm 118.22, which says simply, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Well, that's a weird saying. We don't speak of cornerstones much. But when a building is being built, particularly in this time period, the first stone that was laid down is the cornerstone. However it is, it actually becomes the, the guide by which everything else is, is put together. I don't know if it still works that way. Josiah, you might know. Um, but it's the perfect stone that has been chosen for this. And what he means by by mentioning it here is is Jesus was the perfect stone, the perfect Savior, the one that God has has sent, the one that God would use to establish his church, his work of redemption. And Peter's telling his accusers, you you rejected this stone. You you tossed it away. You rejected the Messiah. Well, God has laid that cornerstone, who is Jesus Christ, and God is building his church. Verse 12 of it is one of those absolutely epic text in all of scripture. Look at it. It says, And there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So this makes two things clear. One, faith in Jesus Christ is the only means by which anyone on the planet, today or ever, will be forgiven their sins. It also tells us the opposite of true. Um, It tells us that every other name that people believe in, in the hope that it will save them, is a lie and a false hope. That salvation is in Jesus Christ alone is a very offensive doctrine. Uh, Many people do not appreciate this at all. It's a a doctrine that sometimes, honestly, as we start to tell this to people, you feel that pressure of some sort of embarrassment, because you know it's something you're not supposed to believe in our culture. Statements like, why is the church so close-minded? Well, if I know that you're being given a placebo when medicine that will really save you is available, how loving, how kind is open-mindedness towards that placebo? Besides, the church didn't come up with this. This isn't our idea. Uh, men didn't get together and decide let's, let's, let's teach this and, and whatnot. Uh, sure, we just heard Peter say it, but, but he was taught this somewhere. He was taught this from the Savior himself. Back in uh, John 14, 6, Jesus there said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's where Peter learns this. That's where the church learns this. From our Saviour Himself. Now it's easy to be offended, maybe even wish that there were more options. But but really you, you look at this, we ought to praise God for, for the very fact that there is any name by which we really can look for look to for salvation. What an amazing truth. It's kind of like the situation in John 6 when, when Jesus has, has said all these difficult things to the crowds that have been following him, the ones that are like, let's just see some miracles, and they're really impressed by him. Uh, and, and, and he says these difficult things. And many of the people are like, all right, Jesus is crazy. We're out of here. And they turn and they go to leave. And, and so Jesus turns to his disciples, those, those 12 closest, and, and he asks them, uh, this is from John 6, 67, do you want to go away as well? And Simon, Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom? whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God where else you gonna go this is why even though we are culturally encouraged to be open to any and every idea of salvation it's not right or loving for us to encourage Islam or Hinduism or any other false hope for salvation That that Jesus is the only way doesn't make those who falsely trust in other names our enemies, though. Keep that in mind. It it makes them our mission. But even if they are our enemies, for some other reason, uh, Jesus, our Savior, has called us to love our enemies. And that means that we point them to to their one and their only hope for salvation. We point them to the only one who can save their sin. We point them to Jesus Christ alone. After all... Uh, if you've been bit by a venomous snake and what you need is anti-venom, not, not some band-aid, nothing else is going to help. And every one of us has been bit by the snake of sin and death. And we need the only hope, which is Jesus Christ. And, and so we take this message to, to all, to anyone who will listen. Uh, it's like First John five twelve tells us, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is true for each of us. Either we have the Son received by faith in Jesus Christ and thus eternal life or we are without a Savior and we remain under the wrath of God. There is no other option. That's it. Uh, And so yeah, there's only one way, but apart from Jesus, there would be no other way. No way. What a glorious truth this is. Uh, So let us praise God for His goodness, for for sending His Son to be our Savior. Um, You know, may we not be May we not shy away from sharing this message of hope with others? Uh, others who, apart from this message, will perish in their sin. Okay, so Peter's been bold in speaking to the council, right? Um, these men who are going to decide their fate, uh, some dangerous men in a lot of regards. And, and then let's see what the response is verses 13 through 22. I'll follow along, I'll read it. <clears throat> now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so they called them, and they charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. The council is shocked by their boldness. They didn't expect that. You can imagine a, a group of 71 men of, of high standing. You come in there, most people are intimidated by them. And yet Peter and John and the apostles, there's nothing. So they're shocked by their, by their boldness. Because, uh, you know, what's it say here? Um, these are uneducated, common men. Uneducated, Uh, They've not been trained. That's what we might say. They've not been to seminary. They're not ordained. They're not scholars of any sort. Uh, Common here, meaning they don't hold any particular position in the Jewish religious community, uh, system, or religious system. Uh, But they spoke the truth, and they spoke it boldly. And I, I can't tell you enough how important it is that people hear the gospel from your lips, from your mouth. I run into this issue all the time. It's, it's your job to say this because you're a pastor. I mean, I, I became a pastor because I find the gospel so important, but, but I get it. I might have, or at least I might appear to have ulterior motives for why I would tell someone about the gospel. Nobody can accuse you of that. And if you know enough to believe the gospel, you know enough to share the gospel. And our text here, after Peter and, and John speak, the, the council sends the apostles away, uh, you know, get them out of here, let's discuss this, let's figure out what we can do. And, and you can imagine once the room had cleared, just kind of that, oh crap, what are we going to do with them? Just this panic, how do we handle this situation? What I almost find most amazing is that they don't believe. I mean, they see this a miracle, they don't deny the man being healed, and yet they don't believe. In fact, they, they even say there that in verse 16, we cannot deny it. There's no question there. It really just seems, why don't they just believe? We've just seen, they preached this to, to a crowd of people and 2,000 of them came to believe it, right? And now 71 of these council members hear the same gospel and not a single one is mentioned coming to believe it. The apostles were faithful in both situations. They, they shared the same message in both instances. And the first time, God gave this huge, bountiful harvest. And the second time, nothing. Nothing. You know, let that be an encouragement to us. To to be faithful messengers, even when the results are not as bountiful as a harvest as we hope for. Um, But instead of believing the gospel, the council treats the gospel like the plague, don't they? We can't fix this. Let's just isolate it, stop it from spreading. Brilliant plan, right? The, The brilliant plan that they actually come up with is, guys, don't talk about Jesus. That's it. Um, it says they charge them, charge them, that's a, an indicative, that's an actual command. And, and it's a command that actually carries weight when you consider that uh, these are the same people that managed to get Jesus, their Savior, crucified not long before. Um, and so it's not like some powerless people just said, keep your mouth shut. They understand the weight of what's going to happen if they disobey Him. And, and Peter and John respond with this, this saying, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That first question of whether it's right or not tells us that they understand that these men are in a place of authority. This text is not anti-authority as it's often represented or presented. Um, If you look closely at this, what what you see is its submission to a higher authority to God, to the great commission that God has given his church, so that the message of the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth. The obedience to, to elders, to governments, to parents is all very important. Uh, but it's not absolute. God places authority in our lives for our good. I think sometimes our, our constant push for in, uh, uh, independence, to be, to be out from under any authority, is not community. And we have suffered as individuals because of that attitude. Freedom is not having no authority over you. It's it's knowing which authority over you must be obeyed to live in accordance with with the life that God has given us. They also say in verse 20 here, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Why not? Why can't they just shut their mouths for a while to ensure that they live another day and they can speak about it some other time, right? Why can't they do that? Well, You remember verse 4 in this text that we, as we started here. It said, but many of those who had heard the word believed. They can't but speak to others because that's how they might hear the word, hear the gospel, and be saved. That's why. Uh, Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Romans 10 is speaking explicitly um, into a missionary context. Uh, But it's also speaking of our our living missional lives, whereby we function like missionaries in the day-to-day life that God has given us. Uh, Which is to say, we simply love God, we love our neighbors, And when we're asked about our lives, we point to Jesus Christ and the gospel. We point to the very means by which we ourselves have been redeemed. So we're not really silenced in our culture yet, are we? Um, Not yet, anyway. I mean, your profession might have some sort of of gag order on you. um, But you're still free in your life to speak about the gospel or anything you want. You can talk about crazier stuff if you want, right? Uh, That might not always be true. In fact, many believe that we as Americans are, are starting to get to the end of our, our freedom to do so, that the day is coming when we will be forbidden from calling sin, sin, without some sort of legal consequences. Um, and, and really, I don't know what's going to happen. It's not what I'm here to preach to you about, about the future, but uh, what I do know is that we need to be prepared for absolutely anything. Uh, one of my professors, Sinclair Ferguson, and a beautiful Scottish accent, once said, uh, uh, we, are we building churches that will survive persecution? Are we building churches that will survive persecution? And he meant, uh, when the gospel is a threat to the enjoyable way of life, will we still hold on to it? Will we still speak of it? And the only way we can answer that, that question, yes, um, yes, we are prepared for persecution, is if we have decided ahead of time that we cannot but speak of the gospel which we have seen and heard. It means we live peaceably under the authority that God has placed over us, but that we always remember that our highest authority is, is God himself. And, and that means that, that we must be prepared to be obedient to God no matter the situation, no matter the cost to us, uh, no matter uh, what we're going to face in our temporal life as a result of this. Uh, we're not the first generation that, that's even considering this. Uh, the church and many, many times faced this and lived through it. The fact that the church exists today tells you that people lived through this boldly proclaiming the gospel and living it. Let me ask you: ever heard of uh, a guy named Saint Basil, or Basil? I guess is how you pronounce that, of Caesarea? Uh, he's not one of the more well-known people in history. He was a monk. He was in the fourth century. Um, it's always stuck with me. In college, I, I heard this story, uh, and I began to go look it up and, and learn a little more about it. But I remember reading about this story when when the emperor was so upset at Saint Basil. Uh, For holding on to just biblical views of God. That was it. Uh, And finally, the emperor was so frustrated at him that he threatened Basil with with confiscation, banishment, and and death. Uh, And so the threat was, I will take everything you own. Uh, I'll make you leave this land, leave this country, and go live away from every friend you've ever had all by yourself. And if it comes to it, I'll even take your life. I'll kill you. Uh, And St. Basil, this is probably why I love him, because his response is just laced with this sarcasm. Um, He says, nothing more? Not one of those things touches me. He said, his property cannot be forfeited, who has none. Remember, he's a monk, which means he doesn't even own the robe he's wearing. It belongs to the abbey, technically. And he continues, banishment I know not, for I am restricted to no place, and am the guest of God to whom the whole earth belongs. For martyrdom, I'm unfit, but death is a benefactor to me, for it sends me more quickly to God, to whom I live and move. I am also in great part already dead and have been for a long time hastening to the grave, which means, you know, every day I'm a little closer to death anyway. Um, His reply to this, this threat of losing his stuff, of being removed from his country, or even being put to death is essentially that that threat has failed to create any fear in me. It'd be arrogance, except for the reason that these threats fail to carry any fear in St. Saint, Saint Basil is that he's completely satisfied in all that Jesus Christ is for him. Take my stuff. Really, none of it's mine anyway. Move me somewhere else. <clears throat> ah, I'll go there. I'll listen. I'll, I'll live. I'll worship God. I'll be fine. Take my life? Fine. You'd only bring me quicker to God, which is where I want to be anyway. I love that story. Um, one more thing I'll, I'll mention today, and then we'll be done here. Uh, somewhere along the way, I was, I was told when you prepare to preach, you should be able to answer two questions and really I think I should probably be able to answer more than just two questions, but, uh, particularly these two questions and, and, there's this, what, what do I want God's people to know from this text? It's the first one. And, uh, what do I want God's people to do because, or as a result of this text? Uh, and so the first one, what do I want you, God's people to know from this text? I want you to know that the gospel is true. I want you to know that it is so absolutely true that you can put your life on the line for it and be better off for it. Second, what do I want you to do? Uh, What do I want God's people to do because of this text? I want you to feel boldness. Boldness to speak the gospel in any situation. To take every opportunity to glorify God when given that opportunity. Now let me tell you, you will fail at this. And I mention this because I know this is going to happen. I experienced this. You're going to clam up. You're going to reason with yourself why this is not the right time or the right situation to say anything. Um, And you might feel terribly guilty in those moments. uh, After those moments. I'm telling you, don't live with those guilty feelings. I mean, take it to the Lord. Take it to the one we rest in. Take it to the one who has died for for our, our sin. You know, take it to him, soak in his mercy, ask for strength, ask for faith to know how to respond differently next time. But don't carry that guilt around. You know, look for the next opportunity that God puts you in. And so my hope for us after this, this scripture passage today is that we would, we would that rather that God would make us bold to believe the truth. The truth that Jesus has died for our sins and that God... Um, would make us bold to speak that glorious message even when we are deeply afraid. Why? Well, it's the same reason we saw before, the same reason they couldn't stay quiet. So that God is glorified and so that many who hear will believe and be redeemed. After all, each of us believed the gospel because we heard it from someone parents or friends, some guy standing in the front of a room. Somewhere along the way, you heard the gospel and that's how you believe. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we come to you in prayer through the same name which we come to you for salvation, in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Make us confident in this truth. Make us to believe it and to be bold to speak it in any situation. Remove from us the fear of man that makes us silent, the fear of looking foolish, or the fear of losing friends or places of prestige, Make us to be kind, winsome mouthpieces for the gospel, which we have believed ourselves. Lord, make us aware of these moments in life when we're in a position to speak of you. Make us also bold to open our lips and speak in those moments. Not because of guilt, but because of joy. Because you are an amazing God. Because you have given us Christ, the only name by which salvation comes to anyone. We thank you, God. We thank you for revealing that to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.